episode of Analyzing Mormonism. Today we are talking about Joseph Smith's animal sacrifice. Um, But before we talk about that, I want to talk about just a couple of things. So in our, we have a publishing company and we are publishing old out of print Mormon books and maybe, and also some not out of print books. (laughs) Okay. So the publishing company focuses mainly on queer, publishing queer literature. And so we have two writers that we're going to publish early next year. So one is coming out in February of next year and the next one is supposed to come out in June. Yeah, so we're very excited about that. And then I think I might have another guy who wants to publish with us. Um, you've seen him on Mormon Stories, but I'll hold that until things are more official. But anyway, that's exciting. Um, so we have, I just wanted to show these really fast. So we have William Smith on Mormonism, which is available on Amazon right now. The audiobook is also, um, I like it because it shows problems with Joseph Smith's first vision. So the first vision contradicts history, and this book helps to show that because there are certain key players in the first vision, certain events that he says happened before his vision that didn't actually happen before his vision. So that's why this book is important. Um, He gives his testimony twice, and he gives it in another another place where he also gives uh, more facts about the first vision. And then we have the Nauvoo Expositor, which of course is the Nauvoo Expositor. yeah. So originally it was a newspaper, obviously, and the Nauvoo Expositor was the newspaper that um, exposed Joseph Smith's polygamy. Um, it was published in part by William Law, one of the, the, his um, apostles. Uh, the first presidency. Yeah. In the first presidency, and um, it was burned by Joseph Smith <laughs> and his and his peoples. Um, so we put it in a, a novel format so that it was easier to, to get a hold of, and it will be an audiobook soon. <laughs> it's in ebook and uh, physical book form. Okay, so the last one that I'm also very excited about is we just got, we're getting um, Analyza Webb Young's book up, Wife Number 19. It is available by through other publishers, but ours is the original cover, so it's really pretty. Original cover, but um, updated a tiny bit. But it says temporarily out of stock, so just hang on for a second, and then it will be available, and then you can order as many as you want. <laughs> and it is such an interesting book. So she was so uh, one of uh, Brigham Young's wives, and she has uh, inside stories about Joseph Smith, about the pioneers, about Brigham Young, about the Reformation period of Utah, um, about Mountain Meadows Massacre, about even. About the handcart scheme. She, mm-hmm. she goes into a lot of details. She's a very, very gifted writer, so yeah, check she, out her book. She's snarky, too. She's really funny. And we're working on the audiobook for that, too, so That one's going to take a while, because you it's can see this so book is huge. Okay, it's so good. Oh, and it comes with pictures. Like, oh. <laughs> Original. <laughs> okay. Okay, so anyway, I just wanted to plug that um, really quick. And then the next one we're going to do is John D. Lee, right? Yeah, I'm trying to get that one out. Um, we have we have it all ready to go. I just have to submit it. Mm, covers done and everything. If you go to the website. Um, it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, we have other books like the Nauvoo Relief Society Minute Book, which is about to come out. And then my notes on it, which is like a, it's like this. Uh, An annotated uh, version of the Relief Society Minutes because they're, it's kind of, it's just literally minutes from the Relief Society meetings like, Oh, so and so talked, and they said this. So and so talked, and they said this. Um, and so that's why I was like, Julia, like, why would anyone want to why read this? <laughs> why would they want to read the notes from Relief Society? Um, but I find it fascinating, and I especially through the lens of polygamy, like which women were there, who wasn't there, and then Emma the whole time is trying to uncover polygamy. 
And then that's one of the reasons essentially why it ended on March 16th of 44. Can't remember all the dates. But anyway, um, yeah, so those are coming out as well. Are there any other ones? Well, you've got a whole list, but yeah. I have to focus on the, the LGBTQ ones <laughs> right. for a minute. So. We, yeah, yeah. Our author is from New Zealand, the one who's about to publish her. Um, We've her actually book. done our author announcement, so we can say her name is Jade Dupree. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if we've announced the title no, of don't, the book. No, don't, yeah, yeah, it's coming. But it's super Just exciting. Um, I picked it. It's really good. I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so anyway, so going back to business, we are talking today about Joseph Smith and animal sacrifice. So, uh, I grew up in the church. She grew up in the church. I had no clue that any of this was here. Like, I knew of Joseph Smith's treasure digging just because I just thought he was a hired hand. I just thought he dug holes. Turns out he didn't even dig holes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know any of that. That was not a part of the history that well, I like knew. Well, like, I think it's because I became sort of a, I became an apologist. And so when you do that, you, you learn a little bit of quirky parts of Mormon history. So, uh, actually, that's not really quirky, though. That's sort of a well-known fact but anyway don't know how we avoided that or i don't know if it's well known because if it wasn't said over the pulpit i didn't hear it yeah maybe you're right so. also i learned that a lot of uh critics oh excuse me a lot of apologists uh, dismiss this information because it, they say oh ed howe is not reliable so therefore toss everything out that he said apologists say that mormon historians have to cite ed howe but that he, Edie Howe is wrong. I don't know if that makes sense, but like it's confusing. Um, I don't think that's accurate. Uh, why would it be? And and um, yeah, the Hurlbut affidavits. So Edie Howe purchased the Hurlbut affidavits, and then he got his own. He did his own research for that book, uh, Mormonism Unveiled. Right, Mormonism Unveiled. Pretty sure that's what it is. Every book is named Mormonism Unveiled. Um, it's because it's a great pun. So they just <laughs> everybody went with it. <laughs> yeah, there's like seriously, if you look at that list on the website, there's like 20 of them. Seriously, 20? I don't know. <laughs> that's I know of at least three off the top. There's of my a head. lot. I should count them. But anyway, um, I don't think that's true. I think Joseph Smith actually did sacrifice animals. I think there's enough evidence to say that he did and that he was involved in these occultic rituals. So. We're not going to talk about the overall cultic rituals, although that would be a really fun Halloween thing. Um, we're just talking about the strictly the animals. <laughs> okay, so the first one is by a man named William Stafford, and this was given December eighth of eighteen December eighth of eighteen thirty three. So this one does come from um, one of the Herbert affidavits from Edie Howe's book. So, so William Stafford was a resident of Palmyra and one of the first settlers of the town. His farm was about a mile south of the Smiths' land. He was described by Palmyra Tucker as a respectable farmer in a comfortable circumstances. Despite his negative feelings in the below account, William eventually shared an interest in treasure seeking. According to William's son, John, he even owned his own peepstone. So yeah. All right, let's see what William Stafford has to say. At another time, they devised a scheme by which they might satiate their hunger with the mutton of one of my sheep. They had seen in my flock of sheep a large, fat, black weather. Old Joseph and one of the boys came to me one day and said that Joseph Jr. had discovered some very remarkable and valuable treasures, which could be procured only in one way. That way was as follows, that a black sheep should be taken onto the ground where the treasures were concealed, that after cutting its throat it should be led around in a circle while bleeding. This being done, the wrath of the evil spirit would be appeased, the treasures could then be obtained, and my share of them was to be fourfold. To gratify my curiosity, I let them have a large, fat sheep. They afterwards informed me that the sheep was killed pursuant to commandment, but as there was some mistake in the process, it did not have desired effect. This, I believe, is the only time they ever made money digging a profitable business. 
They, however, had around them constantly a worthless gang, whose employment it was to dig money nights, and who, daytimes, had more to do with mutton than money. Um, so yeah, that's William Stafford. And did you have any thoughts while reading it? That seems really cruel. I don't know if they really did that, but to cut its throat and lead it around in a circle while it bleeds to death. Yeah. But also, like, the cooking of it and, like, and he's talking about, this is my own sheep, right? And they're like, oh, man, it didn't work. Sorry. And he's like, well, they made a sheep out of the deal. Yeah. Um, you'll see later on that also that, that it seems like the Smiths did this when they were hungry, that they would... Um, need a meal and so they would take someone's sheep so i mean smart on the smiths i guess but but also this i was reminded of whenever he says i was promised a, uh that my share would be fourfold i feel like that's a very typical thing with joseph where he he says you do this thing for me and, and i'll give you rewards for it and we see that in polygamy and other such so that's just very yeah it's like they're, a make-believe but they're, but they're make-believe yeah. rewards they're, they're not real. celestial rewards they're magical rewards yeah rather than actual rewards of any kind yeah okay so this next one is joseph and hyle lewis this one was given april 30th of 1879 and joseph and hyle lewis were emma smith's cousins so that's who these two are so they close to the family um and you can see by their record that they seem to have a very good knowledge of what was going on so we are unable at this time to get precise dates, but sometime previous to 1825, a man by the name of William Hale, a distant relative of our uncle Isaac Hale, came to Isaac Hale and said that he had been informed by a woman named Odell. That's a, that's a fun name. Yeah. Odell, who claimed to possess the power of seeing underground. Such persons were then commonly called peepers. That there was great treasures concealed in the hill northeast from his, Isaac Hale's, house. By her directions, William Hale commenced digging, but being too lazy to work and too poor to hire, he obtained a partner by the name of Oliver Harper of New York State, who had the means to hire help. But after a short time, operations were suspended for a time. During the suspension, William Hale heard of Peeper Joseph Smith, Jr., wrote to him, and soon visited him. He found Smith's representations were so flattering that Smith was either hired or became a partner with William Hale, Oliver Harper, and a man by the name of Stowell, who had some property. They hired men and dug in several places, as described in the History of Susquehanna County, page 579. The account given in the said history at page 580 of a pure white dog to be used as a sacrifice to restrain the enchantment and of the anger of the Almighty at the attempt to palm off on him a white sheep in place of a white dog is a fair sample of Smith's revelations and of the God that inspired him. Don't like that. Their digging in several places was in compliance with Peeper Smith's revelations, who would attend with his peepstone in his hat and his hat drawn over his face, and he would tell them how deep they would have to go. But when they would find no trace of the chest of money, he would peep again and weep like a child and tell them the enchantment had removed it on account of some sin or thoughtless word. Finally, the enchantment became so strong that he could not see, and so the business was abandoned. Smith could weep and shed tears in abundance at any time if he chose. That's interesting. That reminds me of, uh, hang on, before we talk about the white dog, this this moment of him, him crying, it reminds me of Isaac Hill's testimony against Joseph, in which Joseph came to him and he was crying and he was, like, apologizing because he basically kidnapped his daughter or, like, you know, I don't know. Ran off with his daughter. Yeah, and he was crying and he was saying, like, I I can't actually see anything in the peepstone. Um, pretty sure there was a lot of tears involved. And then Joseph, 
with um, Mary Elizabeth Leitner, one of his wives who moved from Nauvoo to another place that, was, that wasn't really that far, but he just wept and he was like, you can't move. Yeah, so anyway, there's a lot of moments in Joseph's, in the church history where Joseph um, does indeed um, cry a lot. So well, he's anyway, moved to tears. Which is totally fine. There's no shame. No, t- no waters, shame in tears. There the is shame in. <laughs> <laughs> There's no shame in tears. There is shame in manipulating people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which feels like exactly what he's doing. Um, so yeah. So this story is of Joseph says that he needs a white sheep to remove this enchantment, but that no white sheep could be found, and he tried to palm off on God a, 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 a white dog in the place of the white sheep. Oh, I thought it was vice versa. Vice oh, versa. Was it vice versa? A white sheep. Oh, in place of a white dog. You're right. It was totally reversed. So, like, because it makes more sense for me to, for a sheep to be sacrificed. But that be the initial thing because that's sort of like what. That's what I picture like when I picture a- Abrahamic. Yeah, like of sacrifice. Exactly. Like when Abraham, in place of Isaac, he's given a a ram or something. It just makes more sense. But like, I guess God's go-to is a dog. So don't like that. So we have a black sheep so far and a white dog. Right? Does he also do pure white dog or pure? Does he also sacrifice pure black dogs? Because we've got one of those, and I'd be concerned. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what the first... Oh, that's the first... Oh, the actually, first I don't remember. Pure black so, black sheep. sheep. Yeah, you're right. Black sheep, white dog, and I don't know. I, we'll, have to, we'll have to keep reading, because I can't remember the exact specific. I'm pretty sure there's something about a black dog. But Watch out, Wilson. We, have, we do have a black dog. He's very pretty. Um, so, yeah. So, in here, they reference the history of Susquehanna, so I went and tracked that down, of course. And the history of the Susquehanna County was written by Emily C. Blackman in 1873. So we are going to read that because they reference it, and it's really interesting. They commenced digging on what is now the farm of Jacob I. Skinner in Oakland Township. After digging a great hole that is still to be seen, Harper got discouraged and was about abandoning the enterprise. Joseph now declared to Harper that there was an enchantment about the place that was removing the treasure farther off, that Harper must get a perfectly white dog and sprinkle his blood over the ground, and that would prevent the enchantment from removing the treasure. Search was made all over the country, but no perfectly white dog could be found. Joseph said he thought a white sheep would do as well. A sheep was killed and his blood sprinkled as directed. The digging was then resumed by Harper. After spending $2,000, he utterly refused to go any further. Joseph now said that the enchantment had removed all the treasure, that the Almighty was displeased with them for attempting to palm off on him a white sheep for a white dog, and had allowed the enchantment to remove the treasure. He would sit for hours looking into his hat at the round-colored stone and tell of seeing things far away and supernatural. At times he was melancholy and sedate, as often hilarious and mirthful, an imaginative enthusiast, constitutionally opposed to work, and a general favorite with the ladies. <laughs> wait, wait, we're not done yet, but that's really funny. I love that last line. <laughs> constitutionally opposed to work and generally favorite uh, with the ladies. So it all checks out. Yep. Smith early put on the airs of a prophet and was in the habit of blessing his neighbor's crops for a small consideration. In one occasion, a neighbor had a piece of corn planted rather late and on a moist piece of ground, and feeling a little doubtful about its ripening, got Smith to bless it. It happened that that was the only piece of corn killed by the frost in the neighborhood. When the prophet's attention was called to the matter, he got out of the difficulty by saying that he had made a mistake and put a... (laughs) (laughs) and put a curse on the corn instead of a blessing. Rather, an unneighborly act. And paid for, too. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I thought that was really fun. I just wanted to keep keep going with the history, because that's really funny that Joseph was also making money by... Saying, hey, I'll bless your crops, but, like, more... Oh, I accidentally cursed it. Sorry, but I'm going to keep the money. No refunds. (laughs) Also, that reminds me of the story where he's trying to sell the Book of Mormon copyright. 
And he's like, oh, I guess I got um, revelation from the devil rather than God because it's really hard to tell the difference. So it must be really, really hard to accidentally curse and bless as well. Um, well, you know, it depends on who you're, like, spilling the blood for. I don't know. That just... Well, there's no blood in this story. It's just, he's just I'm just saying, like, spell. how do you accidentally curse instead of bless? Yeah. I, 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 Whoops. Like, what? I Maybe, I don't know. Okay, so this next one is um, by Hyle Lewis. He again spoke about it. Let's see. The first one was April of 1879, and then he, I think, this sort of live rebuttal. But this is June 4th of 1879. So um, we'll read this one because people are, like, questioning him about his first um, affidavit or first the thing that he published. So, Friend Cadwell, you say Messrs. Lewis would have us believe that Joseph Smith, Josiah Stoll, and others were such idiots as to offer and sacrifice a white dog, etc. Whether fools or idiots or not, we would have you believe that, that they did just such absurd things. And it is no greater stretch of credulity than it is to believe what you and others do of Joseph Smith. The facts are that the sacrifice of white dogs, black sluts, black, black cats, and such. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what this means. And we'll see more later. So, yep. Don't know. But anyway, so um, white dogs, black cats. Oh, excuse me. Um, yeah. We have a black cat, too. Man, all of our animals are in danger. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to restart. Facts are that the sacrifice of white dogs, black sluts, black cats, and such like was an indispensable part or appendage of the art which Smith, the embryo prophet, was then practicing. He claimed to possess the supernatural power of second sight, or to see things at a distance and deep underground, and his frequent references to the enchantment proves that he was a conjurer, a sorcerer, which Webster defines as an enchanter and sorcery as witchcraft or intercourse with the devil. That this was his occupation has been proven by his father-in-law, Isaac Hale, and many others, relatives and friends. Mr. Hale says in his affidavit, Smith's occupation was that of seeing or pretending to see by means of a stone in his hat and his hat closed over his face. In this way, he gave directions where and how to dig for the chest of money, and when the workmen failed to find the treasure at the designated place, he would make those engaged in the work believe that the enchantment had removed the treasure to another place. The history of Susquehanna County has a plat of these diggings, the principal excavation and four smaller ones, on the farm now owned by Jacob I. Skinner, some of them not wholly obliterated to this day. Now, as Smith could see the enchantment remove the deposits and gave directions where next to dig and how to proceed, he must of necessity give directions what sacrifice was necessary to propitiate the enchantment. So we have no reason to doubt the truth of the statement about the white dog, the black slut, and that something of the kind took place each time the enchantment removed the treasure. Does it not, does black slut not mean maybe the black sheep? Um, they did call it a black uh, weather. Shearers called sheep and slut. Oh, okay. Okay, so you share that. Upon further Googling, we found that black slut refers to um, the sheep. It's not a term used by anybody except sheep shearers or owners of sheep. Yeah, so, it's so not luckily in the no dictionary, women... And no women were harmed in the digging name up of... Name-calling or, <laughs> or the treasure digging of Joseph Smith. Yeah, that's awful. Okay, but I'm glad that was cleared up. Yeah, um, I was very concerned. Yeah, however... Anyway, we'll keep going. It's still a terrible name for... Anyway. Sheep, yeah, a sheep or a person. Gross. Yeah. 
Um, okay, where was I? So we have no reason to doubt the truth of the statement about the white dog and the black slut and that something of the kind took place each time the enchantment removed the treasure. It is hard to believe that men of common intelligence could believe that Smith could thus see and believe in his conjuration, be so foolish as to spend thousands of dollars in such a way, but Smith translated his Book of Mormon mostly with the same peepstone and hat, he sitting in his house and the plates hid far away, and it is just as hard to believe in this inspired translation as to believe in the fact and efficacy of his dog's sacrifices. Friend Cadwell, for you or Mr. Michael Morris or any other person to state that you had never heard of or knew anything of certain alleged transactions is no evidence against the truth of those who do know, have seen, and heard. That is, your ignorance cannot be admitted as conclusive proof against what others have seen and heard. Neither is bombast and ridicule argument or evidence. Okay, so before we move on to the next slide, so I, I highlighted that one just because I really like it because it's like, just because you didn't know this was here doesn't mean it's not true. Just because you haven't heard it doesn't make it false. Um, we should say that to all the active Mormons. Just because you've never heard of Joseph Smith killing sheep or dogs doesn't mean it's not true. Doesn't mean it's not true. In the words of High Old Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's, oh, he, yeah, he's got a little bit more to say, so. High Old is such an interesting name. High Old. Kyle Lewis. Yeah. Okay. I don't like it anymore. <laughs> we know that nine-tenths of Smith's inspired utterances while in Harmony, Pennsylvania, proved false and his nine-tenths and his miraculous power a sham. Yet there were some besides the money diggers who believed that Smith was what he claimed to be, nearly equal to Jesus Christ. That he had power to raise the dead, and if they were to throw away either the old Bible or the Book of Mormon, it would, or should, be the Bible. Friend Cadwell, you look upon the reports of Smith's money-peeping, dog sacrifice, etc., as so foolish and wicked that you cannot believe that he or any other person could be thus employed. And yet you believe that he, Smith, was a prophet of God, and by inspiration translated the Book of Mormon, and that his inspired qualities should be measured by the number of his followers. Now apply this same measurement to Muhammad and his millions of followers. You will not allow that Muhammad was anything but a false prophet. Smith translated the Book of Mormon by means of the same peepstone and under the same inspiration that directed his enchantments and dog sacrifices. It was all by the same spirit. And right there I highlighted the nearly equal to Jesus Christ. And he's got it in quotes, quotations. I don't know who he's quoting, but it is something that Joseph Smith said. He said that he was basically second to Jesus when he said that Jesus couldn't keep a church together, but he could. Um, wow. Thought that was interesting. I think, I, yeah. yeah. Every time I hear that, I'm like, yeah. And like, another thing um, is that they say that you'll have to pass the angels that stand as sentinels in order to make it to heaven, and Joseph is one of those sentinels. So that's sort of placing him up there. Does with he have Jesus. a flaming sword? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Okay, continuing on with Hyle Lewis. Christ says, by their fruits ye shall know them, and by the application of Christ's rule we know that Smith was a false prophet, to be sure, not equal to Muhammad. Friend Cadwell, I accord to you honesty and sincerity. Let me also tell you that you are laboring under a delusion. Again, you say Messrs. Lewis were quite young, but mere boys, were not actors and took no part in the matters they claimed to remember so well. Elder, you are again testifying about matters that you know nothing about. I was the younger of these mere boys. 
let me say I was then old enough to do a man's day's work, and did so using Smith's oxen and plow, and plowed some very stony ground, and well remember Uncle Isaac Hale's remarks about Smith's plow I was using. Just how Smith obtained said oxen, I am unable from personal knowledge to tell, but undisputed report was that Smith said to one of his disciples in another place, The Lord says you must give me those oxen, and the disciple did as he was requested. Yeah, I just highlighted that one because it's um, very also a pattern of Joseph where he says, I want this thing, give it to me. And people have to do it, whether it's their wives or their homes or their whatever. All he has to do is say the Lord, their is, money. The Lord saith, and then they must do it. Yeah. Yeah, so he's like, yeah, you're saying that I'm, I was too young to remember, but I absolutely remember that this happening. So, okay, so this next one comes from a, an affidavit by one, two, three, four, five people. Um, including Jacob I. Skinner, so that's interesting. So this was published on July in, in July of 1880. So Jacob I. Skinner was the guy whose backyard they were digging in, right? Mm, yeah. But just mark the valuable services of the saints Peakstone. Every time it got track of the treasure and enabled the faithful to dig toward it, the third hole was sunk about 15 feet when the treasure waltzed around on the other side of the big hole. <laughs> Now the saint had a vision. Blood must be shed. It must be the blood of a black sheep sprinkled all around the diggings. Sprinkled all around the diggings. The faithful were mighty glad to hear of this, for they were tired of trying to catch a ton of silver which went like a nimble sixpence, and had so much the advantage of them in dodging about. There was a charm about it, for the prophet said so, but ten prophets could not make them believe there was a charm about the work. That wasn't the kind of men they were, and the Mormons have never been that kind of men. This is like poetry. <laughs> oh, yeah. In all the country around Susquehanna, there was not a black sheep. The nearest thing to a black sheep was a black dog, and the prophet thought that might answer. The dog was killed, and its blood sprinkled about the ground where the silver was. The silver never went away any great distance after that, but it waltzed around the big hole in a manner to defy the dexterity of pick and shovel. Frequent drifts were struck out from the big hole, but the silver couldn't be coaxed with the blood of a black dog, nor cornered by tunneling. The prophet decided that some man must be killed. Yep. <laughs> Keep going. That some of their number must be slaughtered and become a sacrifice to appease the charm that had the silver under its arm and was playing hide and seek with them. Until that was done, the prize would escape them and there was no use of digging against fate. He called for a volunteer. Who wants to die so we can dig up the silver that we have no evidence exists? Sorry. <clears throat> but none of the faithful could spare themselves for that purpose. Shocker. For the simple reason that no Marcus Curtius could be found to throw his manhood into the breach, to step forward and have his head cut off for the great benefit of those who were left, this magnificent enterprise was abandoned, and all the silver there ever was in that mountain lies there until this day. When we reflect upon the great number of people who sacrifice themselves for wealth, it seems strange that the founder of Mormonism could find no sacrifice except a black dog which was little better than nothing in his operations, and it is not likely that he obtained the consent of the dog. <laughs> I think he means he stole the dog. Um, so yeah. Um, well, and the dog didn't consent to have its throat that's cut. That's absolutely true. Um, so that so there's another side about this quote, but um, so yeah, the prophet said somebody has to die. Um, any volunteers? No, and nobody oh, wanted to do. Oh, we'll never find it. This is Dang your own fault, guys. This is not Wait, my fault. Wait, but hang on. The, this is your fault. This is also reflecting uh, reflective of the blood atonement. Yeah, where they cut it, specifically in the temple where you cut your throat, and that was a practice back in the day. In fact, there's a story of one guy who who killed himself, I think, in front of his family. And um, there's other times where the Mormons would kill people, would blood atone them by chopping their head. So so that's just interesting yeah. that Joseph, this is the blood, or at least the method of the blood atonement predates the blood atonement, like uh -huh. in the Smith 
family anyway. What were you going to say? I was going to say they're removed from the church below the ears. Yeah, pretty gross. Okay. Okay, continuing on. Oliver Harper, one of the number employed in the digging and who furnished some of the sinews of war. What does that mean? I don't know. Was soon afterward shot by Jason Treadwell near Joe Smith's house while returning from a rafting expedition down the Susquehanna. The saint thought this would answer for a sacrifice and rallied the faithful to dig some more. But the charm remained stubborn and would not come within sight of anybody with a silver, except the, the prophet with his peak stone, and the peak stone business was pretty nearly played out in this neighborhood. There was too much hard work and perspiration about it to be clearly connected with the Day of Miracles. The prophet turned his attention again toward Palmyra and the hidden treasure in that neighborhood, but was supposed by Mr. Hale and his family to be in pursuit of the furniture for housekeeping. He was accompanied by his wife's brother, Alva, who officiated as teamster. When they returned to Susquehanna, it was learned that the saint had brought with him the wonderful golden plates. It is recorded in the Book of Mormon that after the prize was won and delivered to the prophet by angels, his eyes were opened and he saw legions of devils contending against a celestial host to keep the golden Bible hid. What the devils wanted to keep it hid for is hard to understand. Such conduct certainly showed great short-sightedness in them, and they were not supposed to be a superficial race. The Book of Mormon does not record all. It does not tell where the prophet went immediately after the gold plates were won and delivered to him. So, yeah, I kept this part in there because it's super interesting to me. And also, he's seeing legions of devils contending against a celestial host to keep the gold Bible hid. So, one thing that I always was very confused about is why was Joseph... So there's a story of Joseph when he takes the plates out and they disappear from in front of him because he looked away and then um, he had to get him back out of the ground. But like, how was he able to, he can't even look away without the angel rebuking him, but he can hide them in a log. He can hide them in the hearth, under the hearth. He can hide them in the barn. Like what? And also like, it just seems like Joseph's just making stuff up where he's like, oh, at this moment, there's legions of angels protecting the plates. But in the other moments, they are not. Does that make sense? What? And he has a good point, or whoever it was that said this had a good point. Like, what the devils wanted to keep it hid for was hard to understand. Oh, yeah, I have no idea. Okay, so this next one is one I think I just recently found a couple days ago, and so this is why one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode. So this one is from Alfred Trumbull in 1881. Um, the book is called The Mysteries of Mormonism, A Full Exposure of Its Secret Practices and Hidden Crimes. So, yeah, that's hopefully one we will um, republish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, his is just a little quick um, excerpt. Also, Trumbull is a very fun name. Trumbull. Yeah, Alfred Trumbull. Alfred Trumbull. Okay. There was only one business the Smiths indulged in with any show of industry. When they were sober enough, for they were lusty topers, they were perpetually digging for buried treasure. Next to this pursuit, they starred in the nefarious one of sheep stealing. In 1833, upwards of 60 leading citizens of Wayne County who were called upon to depose as to the characters of the Smiths testified under oath that they were immoral, false, and fraudulent, and that the hopeful Joseph was the worst of the lot. Yeah. Okay, this one is from Emily Austin's autobiography. And so this one was published in 1882, so a year later. And I'll just explain a little bit about who she is. Emily Colburn, or Coburn, is the younger sister of Sally Knight, who was the wife of Newell Knight. She joined Mormonism in 1830. She moved to Kirtland, Ohio in 1831. She later moved to Nauvoo, where she became disillusioned and left the church. Concerning her autobiography, Larry C. Porter said, Despite a number of inaccuracies, she gives the reader some valuable historical insights which are not found elsewhere. 
so yeah, there's a there's always a caveat of people getting things wrong. So I understand that um, people also can get things very correct. So, and also even when they get things wrong, I think that there's value in it because like they're saying Absolutely. these things for a reason. It's and it's probably because of what was believed in the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like for example, the instance of uh, the stories of Emma poisoning Joseph. I don't think she did. But uh, it is. But they believed that she did, right? And that, and that or something. Joseph believed that she did, so that that has value. That Joseph understood probably that his wife was very mad at him. What? And it shows the relationship between Brigham Young and Emma. Um, and there's horrible. Yeah, he did not like. He Emma. did not like her at all. Also, William Law did not like Emma at all, and that'd be really fun to show um, the quotes from him because he was like, she was just as bad as Joseph, and they deserved each other, and yeah, it was really bad. And it was interesting because when. Apparently, when Emma said to Joseph, well, if you can take wives and I'm going to take a husband, I'm going to take William Law. And William Law was the one who was like, get away from me. (laughs) So super interesting. Okay, so this is from Emily Austin's autobiography. Old Uncle Joe Knight, as we called him, was a wool carter and a farmer. Yet he abandoned all business and joined with a number of others to dig for money on his premises. While I was visiting my sister, we had walked out to see the places where they have dug for money and laughed to think of the absurdity of any people having common intellect to indulge in such a thought or action. However, all of those things had long since become oblivious, for in the time of their digging for money and not finding it attainable, Joe Smith told them there was a charm on the pots of money, and if some animal was killed and the blood sprinkled around the place, then they could get it. So they killed a dog and tried this method of obtaining the precious metal. But again, money was scarce in those diggings. Still, they dug and dug, but never came to the precious treasure. Alas, how vivid was the expectation when the blood of poor Trey was used to take off the charm, and after all to find their mistake that it did not speak better things than that of Abel. And now they were obliged to give up in despair, and Joseph went home again to his father's in Palmyra. Yeah, so she even names the dog in this one. The poor dog's name is Trey. Very sad. I don't think it, does it say, it didn't say the, the color of the dog, right? That must not have been her focus. But anyway, my thoughts were when she was reading this, when you were reading this, was that, is this all the same story? Was this only one instance of Joseph killing a dog or a sheep? Um, I don't know. They might be referencing the same, because I guess so far there's been at least two incidences. Well, because this is in um, Uncle Joe Knight's Oh, that's true. These are different people. So the Skinner's backyard. That's absolutely very true. So thank you for pointing that out. So also I have a question. Did they eat dog at this time? Oh, I don't know. Because you made a point like, oh, they, yeah. they killed sheep when they were hungry. I don't know. Did they yield I mean, it's not uncommon dog. in all cultures to not eat dogs or to eat dogs. I don't know. That's a good question and kind of disturbing. Joseph Joseph liked dogs. Joseph had a dog. His name was Old Major, and he was a white mastiff. So that's um, uh, nice and also disturbing that he was willing to kill people's dogs. Maybe they were stray dogs. I don't know. I don't think that's that one. That one's name was Trey. Yeah, not a stray. Very sad. Okay, so this one's from Ellen E. Dickinson, and she published her book in 1885, and it's called New Light on Mormonism. When Joe wanted fresh meat for his family, he gave out that it would be necessary to ensure the success of the diggers, as these worthies were called, by having a black sheep killed as a sacrificial offering before going to work. So yeah, there's the quote about if they needed food, which they often did because, um, especially after Alvin died, they the family was thrown into greater poverty. And uh, Joseph Smith Sr. Um, really struggled to work, and he mostly just drank. So I feel like at this time there would have been plenty to hunt. Like, if you're willing to kill animals to eat, why don't you just go hunting? It's easier. I mean, somebody did reference that Joseph was lazy and did not like to work at all. So I don't know. Who knows? I mean, he could have been like Nephi and 
made a bow or got his bow fixed or something like that. Okay, so this is the last account that we have. This is the Nan Hill account, and she published hers in 1939, so much, much later. So Nan Hill Stratton was a resident of Oxford, Shenango County, New York. She wrote an undated seven-page typescript titled Beginnings of Mormonism. A Mr. Wakeman told of one night coming upon Joe Smith and a band of followers back at Scott's Tavern at Nineveh. Mr. Wakeman was motioned away by the men, but concealed himself in the bushes, watching Joe withdraw from the others, then returned, saying God had revealed to him that this was enchanted ground. Then, to the horror of Mr. Wakeman, Smith burned a black dog belonging to Deacon Stowell. This was for a sacrifice to appease the wrath of the avenging angel. Mrs. Davenport of Doraville said she repeatedly heard her grandmother tell of Joe Smith coming into her home one day, long after she was married, and saying that it had been revealed to him that she was to be his spiritual wife. She replied with the broomstick, and he unceremoniously left the house. <laughs> oh. What a great story. So this is this is in the 1900s, so this is um, way later. So we need to take these with a grain of salt, these later accounts, but at the same time, they, they reflect exactly Joseph Smith's behavior with polygamy and with, like, um, the letter Nancy uh, raked in with the happiness letter and things like that. But this one, and this one I thought was interesting because they burned the black dog instead of cutting its throat. Um, which I was, this is the only reference that I could find of him burning, burning an animal. So, and also, yeah, so, a different person. So Deacon Stoll. So this is a different black dog, unless she's getting her lines crossed with another story, which is possible. Thank you. This is a very quick episode that I just wanted to throw all these out here. So can we do a count really fast? Yep. Okay. So, so the first one is a black sheep. Black sheep. And then Joseph and Hiles say white dog, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Or is that the one where they switch that one out? Says, um, okay, hang on. When was the white sheep? Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's this one. Okay, yeah. So white is a white dog, right? Okay, and then this is he's oh, referencing no. the so same story. So this one is a white sheep, but they wanted a white dog. So it was a black dog, or white black sheep, white sheep, but they wanted a white dog. So black sheep, white sheep. Dogs. Okay, this one he he does. Hiya Lewis adds black cats to that, so maybe add a black cat. Um. This is the same account, Black Sheep, which might have been, we don't know, this one doesn't say anything different. It might have been the first guy. Who was the first guy? Um, William Stafford. William Stafford. Um, sheep stealing. So they killed a dog named Trey. Um, I would put it up because it's Uncle Joe Knight. So it's mm -hmm. a different guy. Um, a black sheep was killed. Not sure who, on whose property. And then Deacon, Deacon stole. stole. So that's so another that's black dog. So, so how many animals? So at least five. At least five animals. So... Yeah, pretty awful. Well, and it kind of seems like it's his go-to method, so I would not be surprised if it was, like, a lot, lot more than that. I mean, these are just the ones we have stories of. But, yeah, so um, Dan Vogel has done research, and he has found 18 treasure digs. And an animal could have been involved in every single one of those or just a few of those. I don't know. Um, Mark Elwood, who wrote the um, – who illustrated the Joseph Smith Glass Liquor books, um, he has a count of over 40 treasure digs, so – so yeah, there's a possibility of a lot more animals than that. Also, another thing I want to point out in this last account, um, he says the, to appease the wrath of the avenging angel, which I thought was really cool, or not really cool, but like, um, is this the angel with the flaming sword? It seems like it because of the spiritual wife reference, so. But why was he, why was the angel angry? Like, what was he angry about? That Joseph wasn't living polygamy. Although that depends on where, when this took place. So the avenging angel was not about the spiritual wife? Not this time. Anyway, so Joseph's another go-to method is an avenging angel, perhaps. And I don't, yeah, I don't know why there would be an avenging angel for hidden treasure. 
Um, because angels have a lot of use for treasure, and they prefer to keep it for themselves. Unless you think of the dead as being angels, in which case, yes, Joseph believed that the spirits of the dead guarded the treasure. In the cases of, like, Captain Kidd or Nephi. stuff like that. Nephi. Moroni? Or Moroni. Where? What? 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 <laughs> <laughs> we should do one on Moroni, too. And all the references to him, because he went through quite an evolution himself because he was um, a Spaniard, he was a hiker, he was a toad, a, a toad. he was a blood, bleeding ghost, he was a bunch of, a Quaker, uh, he went through a whole evolution. And also he doesn't come into the historical record by name until 1834, the angel itself doesn't come up until 1829, so. But anyway, maybe in place of, maybe for Halloween we can do a, we can do an episode on all, all the occultic rituals that Joseph partook in, so, because those are really fascinating. Okay, but yeah, um, if you were curious about uh, Joseph killing animals, here's some answers. If you were not curious about it and didn't know this was a thing, here are some answers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, this was nice and short today. Hopefully it doesn't take us super long to edit. But yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, follow on TikTok, follow on YouTube. Please help with YouTube. Please follow on YouTube because as soon as we get to like a certain level, we can start... <laughs> monetizing from commercials yeah Uh, speaking of that patreon follow on patreon Mm -hmm. if you'd like to have more just a um, little bit here and there like i think the first rung is like five dollars you can just sign up to donate five dollars a month which really does help us out um getting this content out so so that's super nice And the highest rung actually gives you access to the books that we talked about at the beginning we give them to you for free the just the ebook for the ebook yeah but i am debating because we have copies i'm debating um, just giving these out to link the imperfect ones. Yeah, the imperfect ones. I'm debating giving those out at the highest rung on Patreon, but nobody's there anyway, so it doesn't matter. So as soon as we, you're our first highest rung Patreon, we'll probably send you a for real book. So <laughs> <laughs> please support us. Um, like, comment, share, whatever. Um, anyway, um, hope you all have a good day. We will hopefully see you guys next week for our next episode, which will be Woo-hoo! on. I'm actually hoping to do. The Wives of Joseph Smith, because that one I'm really behind on. And they're, I'm not going to lie, it's really heavy to research Joseph Smith's wives, so that's taking it's us hard. longer. So it's really hard. But hopefully we can just get them, the rest of them out, because I want to share that, and I feel like the, these women are very important. I feel like because this is an episode about killing black dogs, we should show our black dog. Come here. Come Wilson. Here, Wilson. We Come named here. him Wilson after the volleyball. Because <laughs> yeah, his head is the size of a volleyball. Come here. Up. Dude. This is See? Wilson. He would have been sacrificed by Joseph Smith. <laughs> <laughs> He's suddenly very shy. Oh, he's camera shy. You are you camera shy? He's okay. Joseph Smith's not here. There's nothing mm-hmm. to be worried about. <laughs> okay. Thank you guys. Okay, we'll see you next see week, you next guys. Week. Bye. Take care. <laughs>